This is Power Athlete Radio. With your hosts, Denny Kaye, Professor Booty, and the Luke Summers. And now, toes forward, hips locked, shoulders set, and retract those scapulas. It's time for some knowledge bombs. Power Athlete Nation, what's up, dude? This is freaking the Tubular California intro for episode 41. I'm rocking with Cali, my man Tex, Luke Summers, Professor Booty. What's happening? Just hanging 10, Denny. Oh my god. Got Calabunga. Calabunga is Ninja Turtles playtech. Take space than you. <laughs> Aren't they cut, from California? Cut Playtex some slack. He's freezing in Georgia. They had their first snowfall in 30 years. <laughs> oh, yeah. Denny, it's no joke. Seriously, we got about two inches of snow, and the government shut down. The school, uh, happy for me, I'm off of school for probably the next week. And uh, you would think that people were not able to obtain any kind of sustenance because I went to the Walmart today and there wasn't a single item of food on any shelf. Um, you do food shopping at Walmart? So, don't judge, Tex. <laughs> Every time I'm in Walmart, it's like I look and I, I think of those people of Walmart pictures and I'm like, man, you know. Denny, keep your fantasies to yourself. Okay? <laughs> yeah. First of all, I, I get excited when I think of those. No, but I always wonder, like, man, I wonder if, like, I'm one of those people of Walmart. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, am I going to see a picture of me at the checkout line standing next to some weird dude or or what? That's like, Denny, uh, if you have to ask, you, you <laughs> yeah. are. That's I'm you trying to be open. <laughs> Uh, All right, so, seriously, though. I mean, I, even though the government shut down, nobody really even noticed, right? Except they didn't get maybe get their mail. Yeah, I guess we won't get mail. I don't know. I had uh, Spencer out in his little truck today, and we were, like, doing donuts in the yard and having a snowball fight and, you know. But, I mean, it's like 11 degrees. It's not that cold, but you would think that people were dying down here. But here's the thing. We have, like, maybe one plow and, like, a wheelbarrow full of salt for the whole state. So it kind of is a big deal, I guess. Yeah, you have no, you have absolutely no snow removal, right? None. Not at all. Nope. And then I'm sure people just do not know how to drive in the snow. Oh, that's the thing. I tell all my friends, like, you know, they're like, oh, you're, you're from up north. How do you drive in the snow? It's like... Don't worry about how you drive. You just got to worry about how all the, the dumb Atlantans drive. Because yeah, we, uh, go, go ahead, Steve. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, because you know, everyone's in a hurry to get home, and they've never seen ice, so they think it's wet, and the first thing they do is hit their brakes. They don't know how to downshift. Oh, it's, it's horrendous. Yeah, we, we went snowboarding in, uh, in Big Bear Mountain like a month or so ago up in California, and it was – it's kind of the same thing. I mean, snow removal is just a challenge there because it's one winding road going up the mountain. You know what I mean? And then uh, there's all these neighborhoods off the the primary highway. But you got to throw on tire chains, and you know tire chains give a false sense of 
I don't know, uh, control in the sense that it's kind of like four-wheel drive and it'll help you accelerate, it helps you go, but you know everybody skids and stops essentially the same deal because you just start sliding. So when we were driving up there, you know, it's the same thing. It's like, I'm not worried about me, I'm worried about them. I'm sure surprised enough, that you weren't adept at driving the snow because all was, you do is drift. I, I, was, <laughs> I was drifting around in my girlfriend's little 2004 Hyundai Accent. E-brake is the most... Uh, is the best way to drift up a mountain is with the e-brake. You don't double clutch and pump your clutch. It's just because uh, then <laughs> oh you don't you know you compromise gas fuel efficiency. But my buddy who is driving, it was his first time ever driving in the snow, and I dude, he had white knuckles like you wouldn't believe. Like he was squeezing his steering wheel so hard, like it, the fucker was about to fall off the steering column. But uh, I did. I can't say with confidence I felt like we were gonna make it, but we ended up making it. So that's a good thing. But uh, <laughs> You know, so Steve, I like it, Denny. It's, it really is funny, like not being. It isn't a big deal to us, but you have people who like. It's the first time they've ever driven on driven on snow. The next thing you know, they're fucking sliding off the road into trees and telephone poles. Right. Yeah. Right. No. So on the way home from the gym last night, I mean, I left the gym last night. It's been snowing since about one. I don't know. I guess around seven, seven thirty, we left. And on the way home, I saw about twelve cars on the side of the road, and you know. There was no accident. They just didn't know what to do. The person in front of them hit their brakes. They panicked, hit their brakes, and everyone just goes off the road. Kind of ridiculous. We're going to start a, a driving course, and we'll go to different states, and we'll teach them how to drive in, in horrible conditions. Good luck with that, Danny. Good luck going into somewhere and saying, hey, I'm going to teach you motherfuckers how to drive. Yeah, I'm up for the challenge. All right, Luke. What's up? Any any uh, good news coming out of Power Athlete headquarters? It's always good news. Nice, nice. Um, Premium content. Well, probably the um, best the best piece of news is uh, well, it's bittersweet really. Tex is now back in DC. He had to uh, he had to take off and head home. He's got uh, he's. He's hitting up a, like a, a nine-month internship where he's going to work with Rafael Ruiz and uh, rub Roth's back and feet while he, you know, while he rests in between classes and clients. So it's bittersweet in the sense that you know me and my girlfriend finally have our bed to ourselves. Tex isn't in the middle anymore, <laughs> uh, but at the same time, you know, no one's making me breakfast in the morning and, and making my coffee. So I got to do it myself. So it's a little bittersweet. Nine month internship down with uh, Raphael, dude. You got to be fired up for that. I think it's more of a, an apprenticeship. A lot to learn. <laughs> uh, semantics. It's semantics. But uh, I still get to travel on weekends uh, for CrossFit football certs, so I'm excited to just kind of bring some knowledge, some nuggets back to these guys. No, no. In all seriousness, I mean, you know, text. Talk, go off a little bit on. on you know what you're planning on learning from Rafael. A little background on Rafael. He was one of the guys who helped uh, get CrossFit football started. He was one of John's strength coaches through while he was in the NFL. And uh, you know the best part about the synergy between Roth and John is they had like this. They they agreed on certain things and disagreed on the other on other things. You know, and and Roth's more about movement quality, movement prep get you prepared before you lift heavy weights and then John attacks it, you know, preparing for movement by lifting heavy weights. But, you know, Texas has interned under John and us for, you know, hundreds of hours, let alone worked with us for hundreds of hours. 
So uh, go into what you're trying to get out of the out of the internship with Roth. Uh, definitely the, the biggest things that I'm thinking of right now are the primal movements. So we talk about them. I know if everyone's read about it in our Power Athlete article, the uh, you know, vertical, horizontal push and presses, the squats, the lunges. Uh, so just kind of getting the background of where that thinking came, came from. So and assessment tools, uh, kind of applying assessment tools to full teams. Uh, I know we got our tools just based off of running t seminars with 15, 20, 25 people, but kind of how to effectively implement that to 50 athletes at one time, get what you need, limiting factors, and then building programs around specifics for each athlete, but keeping the same kind of team stimulus going, uh, and then the mental side of it. So. His, his big thing is kind of training in the condition that you're going to be in for whatever it is you're training for. So whether that's football, whether that's swimming, or whether that's kind of tactile combat. So that's kind of an interesting thing. Um, I know Luke and I discussed a, a little bit about it, but Raph calls it state-dependent learning. Uh, we found it in a, in a wormhole of super training, so it was cool to kind of get a preview, but just, a, just an all-out kind of mental, physical, whatever it takes to developing not only movement, but also that mental aspect uh, of athletes. That's awesome. Plus, I mean, moving down the Tampa Bays doesn't hurt either, right? I mean, come on. Yeah. Yeah. So, getting out of the snow, I got to drive through Georgia to get there, so. Yeah, I mean, you'll be lucky if you'll be able to get through. <laughs> With all the shitty drivers, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Danny, I need a lesson. <laughs> See, there's my first customer. Five minutes into announcing it, I already got one signed up. That's that's how we roll. That's how we roll. Dude, I kind of feel privileged to uh, the first CrossFit football seminar I was at. Roth was part of that, and I remember him just putting us through all his freaking, um, you know, like the, uh, the warm-up protocols and stuff like that. Just crushed us. Just crushed us. Yeah, that, and our, our current warm-up catalog, that was strongly influenced by Roth. And, and you know, uh, John and him were 100% were in tune on primal movement development and it being the foundation of athleticism, sport, fitness, whatever you want to compete in, whatever you want to break down. It's, it's, they are components of the primal movement mm -hmm. patterns, and it's developing competency at the ground level and then once you develop that competency and you're good, you look dialed, it's time to stress it. And really what Roth's, where Roth's magic come in and comes in and where his creativity lies is his ability to stress a movement pattern. Like he thinks of the craziest shit that you wouldn't, you know, that no other coach would, would figure out, you know. So that's, a, that's what's super cool about the, you know, working with Raphael. Cool. All right. Do we got uh, do we got our guest on yet? No, we're still working on it. That's why you had a little a little silence uh, trying to get him some instructions. But uh, let's just barrel forward, Denny. I mean, I, I in terms of anything else, all the other stuff coming up uh, through Power Athlete, we identified a couple software packages that was going to be the foundation of our back end. But it turned out we had some compatibility issues with other things we were doing. So. Right now, we're just f trying to find those software packages. But what I am going to do 
is uh, post a couple teaser components on what the programming is going to look like, on uh, what our instructional videos are going to look like, and I'm going to give a couple of ways so people can see what the hell we're talking about. Uh, and you can look for those in the next day or two. So that's one thing I'm super stoked about, and uh, I'm excited to make you know to get this stuff out there through Power Athlete HQ. Awesome, cool. awesome, cool. But uh, so, Denny, uh, Denny, you sent me a couple emails about uh, you were you were the Juggernaut competition that you guys hosted. Yeah, dude, very uh, very Occupy Strength themed. Um, this is the second year in a row that we've done it. We call it the Juggernaut Contest, open to the public. Um, max rep, power clean, squat, deadlift, and bench. And then we do some sort of conditioning at the end. This year we did two. Uh, last year it was just one. It was like a prowler sprint with an atlas stone. And uh, this year it, it was more like farmer carry, double under, kind of like cross, more more crossfitty. But um, I've seen some some uh, common faces from some of the other seminars and and events that we've done in here uh, or in the area. And uh, one of them, uh, Dave the Bull, who's a regular um, commenter on the CrossFit football, he, uh, him, and some of his athletes from Chicago Elite Fitness came up and participated, and uh, he crushed a 600-pound squat. And that's one of the videos that I sent you that ended up giving him first place in the heavyweight division. And the last time I personally saw somebody squat 600, um, I went to a powerlifting gym a few weeks ago in the area called Monster Garage. Mm -hmm. Pretty good, uh, pretty good athletes over there. And then of course, A. Bell squatted that 600 at the Power Athlete Team Series. Yeah, yeah. Like it was nothing. Like it was nothing. So here's the thing: Dave the Bull was at the Power Athlete Team Series too, and yeah, he did. What was like a real wide box squat kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. If you look at this video, um, he shortened up his stance, the bar sitting higher on his traps, not so so much of a low bar back squat, and he freaking nailed it like it was nothing. So I asked him, you know, why the change? And he said that he's been following CrossFit football programming uh, a, a few months before the Power Athlete Team Series. But after that, it, it kind of really, like, sat well with him and he's just been on that adding a few you know accessory work here and there but you know bringing in his squatting stance into more of uh, you know how across football wants you to squat um, he said it felt a little bit more comfortable for him and you know what was June July August September October November you know six seven months later he's able to add like 50 55 pounds to the squat it's insane. That was a pretty good testament to the program. Yeah, yeah, that's you know, there's just okay. It's it's decent, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, congrats to him, man. Six hundred a huge milestone. Uh, so yeah. that, that's super cool. Did you did you didn't compete, Denny? No, I was one of the judges. I was oh. one of the judges in it. You just did you didn't want to win it, you don't want to take it all? That's pretty <laughs> much it. I mean it really wouldn't be fair. So, uh, you know, I'll judge and give people pointers and kind of meet some new faces and correct everybody in, uh, in their, you know, bad positioning. 
Good stuff. Hey, we uh, anything? Any other good stuff happened on that that competition? What were some of the other numbers, Danny? Uh, well, we had some women who deadlifted 360. Whoa. Some of the heavyweight women. Um, there was a light a lightweight. I think was 120 and under, and uh, a lightweight woman woman put up. A 200-pound bench. I thought that was pretty cool. That's legit. That's way legit. And uh, that's what? That's like two times body weight. Yeah, almost two times body weight. Um, and then you know, it, it's funny, dude, because you you see some uh, pretty shady technique and a lot of the strength. And then when those same people go into like high rep conditioning, um, it, it like that technique's gone, or you know that bad form is gone. It's like everything's really good when you're moving lighter weight fast, <laughs> but the minute it gets a little bit heavier, they're crumbling over, they're rounding their back when they're doing some of the heavy pulls, and uh, like that really stuck out. When you know I was watching and judging, I was like, "Damn, man!" You know. Well, it's it's interesting. I mean, I think that when it gets heavy, there's a difference between heavy, and then there's a difference between emotionally in the mindset that you have to get that PR, and you can still maintain good form when the weight is heavy. Um, but I I think that these in these situations, people are willing to do almost literally like whatever it takes, and so. Yeah, I mean, when you're when you're in a meet or something, you're gonna see some pretty heinous shit. Yeah, and you got to figure the heavier the load, the more it's trying to break you, right? So uh, there's a few ways that we stress movement patterns and position, and one, only really high heart rates just just one one way you can do that, right? So let's say for example, uh, David Bull squats 600 pounds, right? Let's say we loaded the bar with uh, 500 pounds, and we have him do like fuck. Fran, and he hits like a three-minute Fran, and then we have him squat reps at 500. How do you think his form's going to look? Mm, I don't know. Maybe he fucking breaks down. Maybe his heart elevated heart rate is stresses him enough where he starts to, you know, he starts to, he can't even look good under 500 pounds where he would smash that had he not had that elevated heart rate and pre-fatigue of 95-pound thrusters, which is, you know, lightweight for, for a guy like that. But uh, so... Like what we're finding and what we're experimenting with, and this is uh, kind of Steve. This is kind of what you and I are doing right now. Is like this pre-fatigue or perio-fatigue approach using like an airdyne or using rowing or using uh, a different movement pattern, or if you're loading volume correctly, the same movement pattern, and you pre-fatigue that so that with that elevated heart rate, you look good at higher loads, and that's just one way to again improve your ability to withhold or withstand stress through a movement pattern. So, um, and, uh, you know, Denny, it's, it's funny. I'm writing a, I'm in the process of writing a little blog post about lightweight and how people, everybody looks good under lightweight. Uh, it's when the weight gets heavy, if you can look good, that's when it counts type deal because it's transferable, you know. If you look good under 600 pounds, you're going to look good under 400 pounds type deal. Right. So Yeah. Well, and, you know, it's, uh, when you look at some of the best Olympic lifters, their warm-up sets look almost identical to their max effort sets. It's like the same kind of principle. Wow. Hopefully. Yeah, yeah. 
So what else? What else do we got? What are we moving into? We got some. We're gonna go over some grip training, and we're gonna talk about some CrossFit regionals prep. All right. Well, let's do it. Let's talk. Uh, Cal, you want to you want to talk here about your grip strength article? Um, can we uh, do the inquiry first? All right. Yeah. Let's do. Let's answer the question because we're just on the verge of getting Bobby. Um, we might be able to get Bobby on here, but I just uh, I would hate to start and then move on to something else. So let's let. Can we do the inquiry first? We got an inquiry. What do we got? Jared. Jared. Uh, Jared. Mike. Michael asks. Uh, love the show. Uh, I was wondering if there's a chance of doing a poster discussion on the best way to deal with high school sport coaches and parents. For example, uh, the know-it-all dad who has a bodybuilder who was a bodybuilder in the '80s, uh, or a high school coach who played a sport at blank university, blank college, 20 years ago. Uh, typically, they more than they know more than you do. At least that's what they tell you. That's, this definitely may be uh, they may be knowledgeable, but do you uh, reiterate to them that what we are teaching is appropriate for their athletes and children? Maybe the question is, what is the best slash easiest slash most effective way to show these guys that what we are doing is the way to do it? That is the million dollar question. So, and then you know he goes on to thank all the power athlete team does. You're welcome. Uh, this is a truly <laughs> amazing resource. It's true. That's a very true statement. And then uh, you guys are appear to be the best looking best podcast looking. crew. <laughs> His words. His, His words. words. <laughs> so, um, all right. Nice. So let's talk about that. I mean, we all have experience dealing with these types of coaches, yeah. right? Parents. So, who wants to go first on this one? Man, I got it. I got all right. it. Yeah. So I've, I've coached high school sport, I coached high school lacrosse, and then I coached college lacrosse, and then college S&T. And the, why I went towards college is because I hate parents. So coaching on the sideline, having them just yell at you for calls or plays or saying their son's not getting in, that just grinds my gears, as Luke would say. Uh, but the best way that I've gone about talking with them and approaching them is kind of talking to the kids. Um, like, what are you training for? What's their end goal? Do they want to go to college and play? Uh, what are their strength coaches telling them um, on the side? So if I, I give them dogmas, and that's posture and position, everything we're preaching, and if that coach ever tells them anything other than posture and position, or they ask them to get into a position that's going to sacrifice that, that coach is wrong, but they're still your coach, and you need to say, yes, sir, and uh, just... Do it like I taught you. Uh, so dealing with parents, um, it's almost like an ego stroke. Just uh, say 20 years, you played 20 years ago, what was the coaching like, blah, blah, blah. And then just say, this is interesting. And then uh, a line I love is informed through education. So talk to them about what they did. Uh, say that's great. And then try to teach them best you can what you're trying to do. So they may think they know best for their kid. But, I mean, their, their kid may know better than the parents, like the experience or the situation they're in. So, I mean, just talking with them, talking with getting the parents' perspective, the athlete's perspective, and then even going out of your way and talking to the strength coach. So, I mean, it's uh, communication is the bottom line. I can't give you one way that's going to work, but uh, talk to all three people involved 
and see what you can come up with to try to help the athlete because that's really all that matters. And there is, um, I mean, it, it's it's kind of an individualized <clears throat> scenario because you're going to have to read people. I mean, sometimes you're you may have to risk being a dick and losing the business, but you you may not just tap through to the person. Uh, you could sit them down, and you know you should hopefully have the science under your belt to sit someone down and prove to them, uh, you know, the way you're applying your volume and your intensity is most advantageous to sport. And then not only that, but disprove the concepts that that they have in their head. So like if a guy came to me and he and he's like, oh, you gotta be, you have to test body weight squats. I would say why. What's the, what's the physiology behind it? What adaptation are you trying to drive? And then I would listen to that answer. Now, depending on the answer, you're going to have to either debunk or agree with that person, okay? So is there merit to a bodyweight squat within sports? Yes, no, perhaps. But at the end of the day, what really matters is performance. And what are the, what are the biomarkers for performance? All right, we need to have someone who can dynamically displace a load along the vertical plane. We need somebody who can change directions. Uh, we need somebody who can run fast, jump high. Okay, these are all product of posture and position. So yeah, maybe body weight back squat is the way to go, but it shouldn't stop there. We need to keep stressing an organism, right? And then you can show him all sorts of science that shows that uh, you know whether the adaptation is central nervous system or uh, efficiency or hypertrophy and muscle growth. Those are the two components that are going to help generate power, and those are dictated by maximal loads and proper loading and proper volume. And there's all sorts of science about this. And you know, we've done the research. You yourself need to do the research so you can combat that. Or go to the seminar. We break it out for you. Um, but I mean, that's that would be the best way I would approach this thing. Is if it got to that point, you have to have the nuts and bolts to back it up. I mean, that's just it. If they're if they're telling you that they know more than you and that happens to be true, well then you're fucked, you know? So it's it's incumbent upon you to do the research, to have the knowledge base, to back up exactly, you know, why you're providing an athlete with the program that they're on, or be able to answer questions that parents or other coaches have. Um, and if you don't, I mean, then, you know, obviously you find yourself in a sticky situation where, who knows, maybe the parents geeked out on strength and conditioning and they know more than you. They done more research than you, um, and maybe it's the wrong research, but, um, you know, the, I think the other part of that, too, the other caveat is being able to maintain the respect of, you know, whether it's another coach or the athlete's parent or something. Um, you know, you want to tread a very thin line and make sure that you're able to maintain that respectful professional relationship, so it's not like a fuck you, it's like, you know, you're, you're able to educate each other and, you um, and hopefully, you know, maintain that professional sort of interaction. So my, my experience with this is when I coached, I coached a peewee football league, of all things. Like you would think the parents are committed to just having these kids have a good time, not get hurt. But there is a coach uh, or a parent who, who started off as a defensive coordinator. And this was a relatively high-level peewee football league in the Midwest. And, uh, and, you know, it was like a, it's a prep or feeder system to high school football. So, like, there's high school coaches scouting these games. It starts, I mean, it, it's starting to be almost like Texas down in or in the Midwest. Anyways, the guy who was the head coach was this PR rep, and, like, a pretty high-level PR rep, and he represented some high government officials. And uh, this assistant coach 
uh, was just calling plays. He would call like his plays for these kids were like backyard blitz. Bring them all, all of them to the right. You know what I mean? It was like we were playing backyard football, but at the end of the day, it's relatively organized football. I mean, there's offensive systems that you have to adapt to, and uh, and the coach ended up asking me to jump in and be the defensive coordinator, and he had to fire this guy. Now, this guy rallied up a team of parents about how, you know, I was inexperienced and I'm young and I don't know how to manage people because, you know, this guy's had management experience. And uh, basically what, what my, the combo that we had is we had like a good cop, bad cop, where my coach, he's like, what you're doing is working. Do what you're doing. And uh, let me handle everybody else. And he kind of just stepped in and his strategy was making promises to try and address the situation. And then he'd come back. Let me know what the concerns are. See if there's a way that I can mask uh, what the concerns are and uh, pretend to make adjustments but continue to get the success. And at the end of the day, it became personal in the sense that this guy didn't care about whether or not the team performed well. He cared about his like his ego, his personal ego, and the fact that he got you know he got kicked off this peewee football team for a 21 year old kid who uh, you know showed up with bloodshot eyes every Saturday morning and smelled like Budweiser. But uh, I guess that's not really ethical, is it? <laughs> Disregard that last statement. Disregard. That was I didn't say it was me. I'm just saying there could have been a person like that. Erroneous. But uh, so if you have that good cop, bad cop scenario where you can just you have someone who understands it and is can manage can manage the drama and step in, you know, really what it looks like here in this question and Jared sent out a, a little heads up that his name is Milky. I, I butchered it, but uh, so Jared, I don't know if you have the athletes yet, or you're trying to sell the parents. So trying to sell the parents, uh, you know, you're gonna have there's, you know, anybody who's worked sales will you know will tell you to promise the promise anything, promise everything. Just promise them, tell them what they want to hear, yep. and get them in your door. Yep. And then you have so then once you get them in the door, then you have a whole other skill set or a whole other personnel that's there to really manage the customer and keep the customer satisfied uh, while you do your thing. Because uh, you know, the salesperson is going to promise you everything knowing that you have a very specific system that yields results and you're going to just tell them what they want to hear and then when they get in the door, uh, you know, do what you know works. We know our program works. We know balancing volume intensity works. We know training movement patterns and energy systems appropriately works. We will, we will produce results, but you're just going to have to either be the guy, put on the different hat, or find somebody, a, a partner, that's going to be able to kind of manage the relationship. And dealing with some of the collegiate athletes that I've dealt with on a one-on-one -on -one basis, um, I mean, their parents are, their personalities are so strong. I have had parents call me uh, religiously every day um, whether the, the their child had a session or not to ask me you know how their child's doing exactly what I'm doing with them and it's it's kind of crazy I'm like hey well I haven't I haven't trained your kid in a couple days nothing's changed since yesterday you know but but as you guys know part of coaching so much of that is just like that quote unquote managing the experience and it's a it's a it's a real challenge and for me in terms of like patience and being able to uh, manage that experience for the parent and comfort them and coddle them and then it's you know then you have to also have a, a different persona when you're dealing with the athlete as well um, but that's a huge part of the learning curve too is just like it's just <laughs> fucking dealing with 
with like people's emotions and when their money and their and their time is invested and their kids are invested they're living and they're, they're they're living vicariously through their children you know it just becomes this uh, very complicated matrix and so um, you know you just you just do the best you can and and I don't think there's any like silver bullet but uh, Tex you you had some good points like you kind of hit the nail on the head and yeah just uh just took three quick notes of what y'all said and then it's trying to manage the experience and you're selling either the science, uh, the safety to parents or performance to the kids. So find out which works best work for the coach, the parent, the kid that you're talking to and then have the knowledge to back up that kind of uh, that sell. So Jared, if there's anything else, uh, let us know through Q&A. And I'm going to go ahead and out Jared that he put the best looking seminar or podcasting was Callie. So Callie, another one of your oh. loyal followers. Yeah, just Maybe another. He, is he the guy who asked for the autographed shirt? I don't know. Could, there's too many people asking for autographed shirts. <laughs> it's weird. And they want me to wear the shirt before I send it out, which is also super weird. But it's whatever. Uh, but... She did it. <laughs> I did it. CrossFit. A little bit of my DNA on every CrossFit football shirt. <laughs> so uh, let's see. Uh, what else do we got? Uh, can I just put one comment in on that last question? Um, sure. What Luke was saying about getting people on your side or to do some of the dirty work or, or talk good cop, bad cop, whatever, one of the other things um, you could try to do is if you even just get one other parent on board, oftentimes they can be your best ally because they can – uh, cut parents off at the pass. We we do sports and conditioning. We don't we're not on the field with a team per se, but if you get a, a parent who comes in and has sort of a question, what are they doing here? Oftentimes, the parents who have been in the program for a while have seen the results. Uh, we don't even have to answer questions half the time because we've got that parent or that set of parents who are, hey, listen, it works. This is what they're doing, and oftentimes those parents who are on and trying to get after you. Um, their, their concerns are quelled by other parents who say, like, look, my kid put on X number of pounds, got stronger, whatever, rather than – it's like almost like they believe the, the other parents sometimes more than they believe the coach saying, listen to me, it's going to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's also a great point. You know, and you could also implement a no spectator rule. That's dicey. Sorry. Yeah. What were they? <clears throat> they can't. Uh, Parents can't be there. Get out of line. Oh, they can't even be there. <clears throat> well, in in, uh, in college, if a coach is in a strength conditioning ses- session in the off season, it's considered a practice. So uh, when you're dealing with sport coaches, just, just kind of use that. They can't be there, even though maybe high school rules are different. Oh, I see what you're saying, Tex. So like, if a, if the sport coach. So you're talking from a different angle. You have a sport coach who's giving you shit about your training program in the off season. He can't even be there anyways. Right. Okay. I, I like don't want your <laughs> You know, I like the idea of of just being like over prepared, you know, doing all your research, backing up your program if you got all the results and it's successful and you can almost answer any question that's asked of you. That alone kind of like gives off this aura where, you know, that person who's questioning your knowledge, your authority, you know, whatever you want to call it, within like a few minutes of listening to your answer, they're going to know like, man, you know what, I should just shut the fuck up and let this guy do his job. Yeah. You know, or they're not. Or it's that person who's got the ego 
you know, maybe he couldn't score that final touchdown on the last, you know, the last drive in his high school game or whatever. It's <laughs> eating at him. You know, it, it, he could just have some deep-rooted issues. <laughs> but he might have yeah. colleges. But yeah, Denny, you're right. Daz you know, um, we used to say in my PhD program, if somebody doesn't believe what you're saying, then dazzle them with data, and that's it. I mean, if you can throw data, I'm stealing at them, that, dazzle them with data, full citation. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, if you can dazzle them with data, I think most reasonably intelligent people are going to be are going to step back and say, "Wow, these throw out a couple big words, throw in a couple words that they can't pronounce. They need to like <laughs> Google pronunciation it, and um, all of a sudden they're going to step back. Except for that, that like you said, Denny, it's going to be that one parent. In which case, you might just have to say, "Go fuck yourself." Like it works. <laughs> if you want your kid in the program, so it's either dazzle them with data or go fuck yourself, right? Well, I mean, in perhaps a more tactful manner. I do but, not recommend that. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, in the I know what you mean, Steve. Like, be like, hey, this is it or hit the road. And a good and place you're to gonna start know to, that. Yeah, you're going to read that person depending on how they come up to you. If they come up all like freaking hollering, you know, you're going to know right away that you got to deal with an asshole. Mm. And a good place to start to anticipate what you're going to hear is is the series that Tex wrote on the, the fallacies of high school strength and conditioning. Because that's all the old school thinking, you know. So read through that uh, and see if, you know, see if any of these arguments are perpetual arguments that come up. And there's some good information to combat that on uh, that should get you started. And you know, text cites his sources, so pick up a book, find the freaking page, and go, or just uh, you know, digest the whole thing. Um, yeah. All right. So that's 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 in terms of if you're leaving here and you know you're gonna you're gonna market to a bunch of parents and you're anticipating the shit you're gonna hear, uh, go read those articles. Seriously, go read those articles. Go buy those books and and arm yourself with the science. You know, that would be my my advice. That's good stuff. All right, well, guys. guys. I, I'm not sure if we're gonna be able to get Bobby on here. We seem to be having some trouble connecting, but we can still move forward and talk about the article if you want. Okay, okay. Well, some of the some of the like bullet points, if you will, that stuck out in the the second article. Um, I, I like the phrase "the hands are the end of the kinetic chain." Yeah, me too. That that's uh, such a money phrase. And actually, I mean, it's um, I guess if you're within the grip circle, it's a pretty commonly used phrase. But I hadn't heard it until a few years ago when Bobby was introducing me to a lot of grip work. And as soon as I heard it, I was just like, oh, that makes so much sense. Um, you know, just your ability to, to uh, apply force on any object. You know, you think about, uh, you know, sledgehammer strikes or really anything, even like doing muscle-ups or a bar muscle-up or anything where your hands are involved. If you can pull on something like a snatch or anything like that and, and use, be able to utilize the end of your kinetic chain or strength in that, um, it's gonna it's gonna be able to you know put you in a position to throw more weight around. So I that that definitely resonated with you. I'm glad to see that that was like sort of like a standout point. And it, I guess it does kind of go along with your your second thing that you have here, which is the psychological effect that grasping or gripping has on the brain. I mean, and I use the example in the article, which is you know powerlifting in the past. I really I really hadn't made that mind muscle connection. I would grasp the bar, I would, you know, thumb around the bar um, in my training, but I wasn't really utilizing that mind-muscle connection of when you're coming out of the hole, really pushing up on the bar. And that's something that we talk a lot about in the seminar as well, 
is uh, even if just for almost, I won't even say placebo effect because it is, it does have a, a, a reaction to it but, it, but it allows you to think about bracing the back and really driving up on the bar. You know, if elbow position is ideal, if the torso is upright and you can really push up on the bar, it does create sort of that mental um, up or like aggressive sort of bounce out of the bottom um, movement. So I'm, do you guys use that in your training? Absolutely. Uh, bench pressing, right? Break the bar in half, get a, mm -hmm. get a fucking good grasp on that bar. It just kind of <laughs> sets like the whole mentality. Like, you know, it's on. We're going to do it. I always tell... You know, my people, I'm like, leave your freaking finger imprints on that iron, you know? Mm -hmm. I want you to freaking crunch the bar. And yeah. uh, it seems it sets their wrists because one thing I'll see, and it's more common in women, I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but we're talking about the bench press, that bar will sit back on their hands, and they're almost in like that that rack position with you, you know, like the yeah. palms up kind of a thing. And it's like if I say squeeze the bar, grip that bar hard, you can see it brings their wrists up into a stronger position, you know, for like a more safe movement. Right. Turns on the lats too. You know, you bring up an excellent point with regard to women because that it, that actually is true. I mean, uh, in general, chicks are, are weaker than men, but we, I find that a lot of women uh, have weaker wrists. And not, not to say men don't as well. I mean, you take, like, a, a group of men over the age of 40, and you'll see their their wrists are wrapped in almost every exercise. But I find that chicks are much more prone to, very early in their cross-fitting or strength training, start to uh, use wrist wraps because they are uncomfortable um you know, they're not comfortable being uncomfortable, you know? And I think that there's a, there's a happy medium there. I mean, there's there's risk development. You can apply some of these exercises that we put in the article. Uh, and a, as well as just like that, that muscle endurance or that strain that's necessary in something like an overhead squat or a handstand push-up, don't just automatically throw on wrist straps. I mean, that shit just drives me insane. You know your body, but you know, try to get at least the first set without wrist wraps um, just to develop that strength and stability because as we know, that's going to transfer to everything else like the bench press, like the handstand push-up, um, you know, to like more muscle endurance stuff like any overhead pressing if you're doing high rep overhead pressing and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, that's an excellent point. And, you know, I'm sure you guys see as well some athletes who, particularly in the squat, it drives me nuts when I see athletes pulling on the bar pulling down on the bar in a squat. And um, it's pretty common, uh, I think, in amateur-ish athletes who haven't been training that long. But uh, as soon as you teach them to actually drive up on the bar, you see a big change in the speed out of the bottom. Do you guys have any athletes who are, like, pulling on it or rest their arms on it? I'm trying to think. Uh, it's common with the thumb over. Yeah, sure. With okay. a, Yeah, with a more of an open grip. Yeah, a lot of guys will do that. Yeah, like that thumb over, really wide, grabbing it out by the collars. And some of that is shoulder flexibility, you know. Um, you know, if you can bring your hands into something that looks more like the top of a pull-up, then, you know, we advocate that. But a lot of it is, like, some guys just can't get their their palms around the bar, their thumbs around the bar, because it creates too much torque in the shoulder, um, which is, you know, an interesting problem to have. But it's... Uh, 
if you if you don't have the ability to grasp the bar with thumb around it, you're not going to really have the ability to push up on it. So you have to tackle one before the other. If it's shoulder issues, then you need to obviously tackle that so that you can grasp the bar, then bring the hands in, then be able to add force. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, another another thing on that pulling on the bar. One thing, I mean, we get to see thousands of people squat 3RMs, and the guys that I see that say pulling down on the bar helps yeah. uh, helps them squat are the guys who cannot depress their shoulders when they push up. Okay, so think about that. So they're going into shoulder elevation when they push up on the bar, and that's going to roll that bar forward on them and help them pitch forward. What you should be doing as you drive up into that bar and you're punching up into that bar out of the hole is you should be setting your shoulders down to still maintain that rigid platform that you're squatting off of. So uh, the whole, through the whole range of movement of, for your back squat, your shoulders should be retracted and depressed and creating a super, super rigid platform. But what these people can't dissociate is when they push up, they release that shoulder. That's why they, when they push down, it's like forcing their shoulders into a good position. But that's ultimately what's keeping them from squatting more as well. So just a little... Tip for you, power athlete listeners out there, all 15 of you. Hell yeah. We, <laughs> had, we had 17 at one point. We did. That's a PR. Screen, PR. Screenshot that. So um, I, I'm, I'm pretty sad that we can't have Bobby on here to talk more about it, but he really is a, he was a protege of the part one guy, Jed, Jed Johnson, who is a competitor, and Bob, Bobby's done some co competitions as well within that grip world. But, um, you know, some good points that he had uh, were – we need to work our extensors. And so we do so much gripping on the bar and so much pulling, and this is also something um, that we reiterate in the seminar as well, is just having having that extensor work is um, it's great. It's great for muscle balance. It's great to essentially train, I guess, that the, the antagonist muscles to all the pulling that we do and all the gripping and clenching. Um, and it's interesting, too, kind of anecdotally, I was training with uh, Chris, who trains here on Balboa today, and uh, you know it was just like a miserable day of pulling and holding on to things, and lots of just very grip-intensive stuff, weighted pull-ups, lots of stuff. And he's got a pre-existing wrist. And deal. he and he has a wrist issue, um, which he's been like struggling with for a couple months now, and uh, he he went through some extensor exercises. And he said he's been implementing them for a couple days now, and it's like night and day. It just the it has this rehabilitation quality to it that has really, really helped, I guess, strengthen that antagonist type of that flexion that's caused in his wrist when he's doing things like overhead squats or handstand push-ups. And so, um, you know, to me, that in and of itself is just like it's just such a great um, a great point, and that. Uh, if there's anything, if you look at the program that Bobby put together very kindly for a power athlete, you know, if you look at the program, we're suggesting that you do uh, the the crush and the pinching on push days. So when you've got push stuff going on, maybe squatting or um, pressing. And then day three, when you're working on wrist stuff, that can be done on a pulling day. And so that's, you know, that's kind of the layout we have and intentionally adding extensor work every day. So if you find that that is some of your grip is sort of your limiting factor, you're battling some wrist issues because of, who knows, maybe you're um, gearing up for the open and doing a lot more, I don't know, overhead squats or handstands or whatever the case may be, um, 
you know, if you're dealing with wrist, wrist issues, then throw in some extensor work, put a, put some bands around your fingers. Um, you know, there's plenty of uh, little videos that we threw in here to guide you, I guess, to, to, to train that grip and not make it a limiting factor, not make it a point of injury. If you're listening now, you can do it. Just put your hands to your side and yep. pull your wrist, your knuckles back, your wrist into flexion. Yeah. Yep. And so like the opposite of like over the top. Extension. So you want to extend. So yep. pull. So don't over the top. Just hands at your side. Pull your wrist back and then make a fist and then spread your fingers. So I think Bobby, maybe Bobby can chime in if he if he has the the old Q and A up on the side. I, I believe he called. What are they called? Kadaya killers. Yeah, Kadaya yeah. killers. Yeah. Yeah. So he had me do those, and um, I think um, we went through. I don't know, maybe like eight minutes of these Kadaya killer <laughs> things. Fucking eight minutes of the worst fucking pain of my yeah. entire life. Let's do like a little Tabata. Yeah, it was. Horrendous, and um, he purposely like there was just, like maybe like a small. This is all. <laughs> this is in DC. It's like a small group of people forming around me because it was pretty obvious that I was about to start crying. He wouldn't let me quit, and uh, he's kind of a hard ass. But if you guys haven't done those Kadaya killers, they're you know unweighted, just kind of extension flexion movements um, using the wrist, using the fingers, the palm and the thumb as well. There's just one where you, if you take your thumb and you bring it across to try to touch the, I guess, insertion point of your pinky and then back out as aggressively as possible while still trying to keep your hand open. So think about that. Thumb goes across to the finger, and the pinky insertion point, and then you open up as violently as possible without clenching or closing your fist. Now, if you do that as fast as you can for 60 seconds, no, you, Luke, you got to touch here. I can't. You have to. I, but I can't. If you do that for 60 seconds straight, uh, your 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 face will contort in a way that you're <laughs> you've never seen. But uh, but yeah, I mean the the long and the short of it is, Bobby works with um, a lot of CrossFit athletes out of Praxis in DC, and uh, you know this is his wheelhouse, and this is how he's he's become so proficient in grip, and he's transferred that to um, he does jujitsu competitively, and so you know. Th throwing some around by their gi, um, holding good guard, different things like that. You know, there's definitely application to sport in lots of realms. Yeah, I, I use yeah. the what's up? Go text. I I use the Kadai Killers a lot when I was working with the crew team, and so I I split it up and I only had two days a week with them, and then one day we do the eccentric, concentric, like just Kadai Killers in different positions, like arms like bench press, arms like uh, extended press. And the opposite day, we focused on isometric grip work. Uh, so I just want to throw that word out there. I know it's lost in a, a lot of training. And, isometric? Uh, yeah. Just uh, <laughs> it's... Um, it's not sexy. You know why? Because nobody wants to stand around and watch someone hold a position. Yeah, it's not sexy, but it, it needs to be done. And I think yeah. the bringing attention to grip work kind of gets that isometric back involved. It's like eating your vegetables. I trained Alan Greenspan, and anything that he didn't like to do, he would just like say, "Oh, it's just like eating your vegetables." The, the freaking not paleo guy. What's that? The Federal Reserve guy. Yeah, chairman of the Federal Reserve. That's right. If he's listening right now, hey, no Alan. Shit. 
Hey, Dr. I've read Greenspan. Some of his articles, uh, like he was really big with like Ayn Rand's objectivism and stuff. And <laughs> yes, Denny, you are a multifaceted. You're a multifaceted man. I had Dude no was idea. He's a badass. One of my favorite uh, favorite guys. You know, was, I'm surprised. Or it's just cool to hear that you worked with him. Yeah. Callie would wear his sweaty shirts afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> right. Steve, maybe you could just kind of end end the segment with uh, like some of the. Um, I remember in one of the other podcasts, you were just kind of going through like human ancestry about like grip training and how it how it evolves as you evolve. Yeah, I think that might have been John, but okay. Well, no, um, you were talking about remember like yeah. the the baby the baby hanging on to the mother. Oh like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean that's like a natural thing. One of the things I wanted to comment on uh, what Callie said earlier about um, uh, generally speaking, men are stronger than women, and that comes to grip too, and that weak strength. I think there's a developmental critical period for grip strength training. And I think little boys do a lot of it because they climb trees and, and like swing bats at each other and shit like that. And maybe, I'm not going to say all little girls, but most little girls probably aren't hanging from trees and that sort of thing. So I think that, that can account for some of the, the sex difference. But also, I mean, we're basically designed to grab things. So if you take an infant and you touch the middle of their palm, I mean, they could be hours old. The first thing they do is grab a hold because... Um, being a primate, if you don't grab onto mom's fur or skin or whatever, you're going to be left for dead and you're going to die. So grip is so important and we fail to, um, we fail to train it a lot. But grip strength is really, um, uh, outside of training, um, during development, it has strong connections with parts of the brain called the motor cortex. And it's a really good indicator for things like longevity and things that we might be more interested in, like neuropsychiatric longevity. So people who have strong grip strength, um, as measured by not things like plate pinches or what have you, but this thing called a dynamometer, which is um, basically like a, a whole hand trigger you pull, and it has a little lever that goes over. Um, people who score high on that are significantly less at risk for things like heart disease, pulmonary disease, um, osteoporosis, yeah. uh, de development of Alzheimer's, depression, anxiety. I mean, the link between the grip, your grip strength and the brain uh, is, is really well known scientifically. How it's linked up neurologically is not all that clear. Um, but yeah, so it's, so it's super important. I mean, grip is part of what we did as monkeys, right? As primates, we were swinging through trees. So um, one of the things I wanted to comment too is one of the most common... Uh, fatigued uh, groups I see uh, in the CrossFit community when I'm training my athletes and I'm having them do kettlebell swings or kettlebell snatches or pull-ups, at the end of it, I'd say 60 to 80% of them say, man, my grip is smoked. And I'm like, your grip? And when we go back to that first point, which is it's the end of the kinetic chain, I mean, if there's any weak link in that chain, it's going to break down all the things we talk about, which are movement, posture, position, efficiency, whatever. So I hate that, and I, I try to get my athletes to do all kinds of grip work. And those articles, Callie, I've got to give you props. They're awesome. And for uh, Bobby Goodfellow, the, the demonstrations of those, uh, how to implement them into training, have been fantastic. And they are brutal. I've been sitting here doing the, the thumb touches and <laughs> contorting my face. Thank goodness this isn't a video podcast. Um, because then I wouldn't be as pretty as I normally am. 
Well, I told you, and kind of to segue this into, I guess, what we're going to talk about next is, uh, I mean, we've been finding in our own training that grip is a huge limiting factor in terms of, like, repeating reps, just like the ability to hang on to a bar, the ability to do multiple snatches. And, uh, you know, just wanted to address that because I know for the majority of people, um, you know, not only is grip heavily important in sport, um, but, you know, a lot of people are just, you're your average CrossFitter and, uh, you know, we want, we want to set people up for success going into the open, trying to create a little bit of muscle, muscle endurance. Um, is that what we were on to next? Yeah. 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 So let's say that we made it through the open and it was, our performance was good enough to get us to the regionals. <laughs> How would we go about um, adjusting the program if we're following like a power athlete, CrossFit football program? You know, what, what are some things maybe that we could start um, implementing? You know, I know on the last show, Callie, you had said, you know, you're going to have to start working on your skill work. Right? For sure. For show. For show, dude. Yeah, this is where, you know, again, it's going to be, let's just say you have your skill work dialed and you can get 40 unbroken muscle-ups, but you can barely squat your body weight. Like, you see, your training doesn't really change out of the, I guess, the CrossFit football. Uh, answer that phone. Uh, the CrossFit football training stimulus, you know what I mean? So it's going to depend on the type of athlete you are. But assuming you've made it through the open, you have a, a high capacity of body weight exercises and what I will refer to as submaximal, uh, submaximal high volume work. Agreed? Do we agree on that? Agreed? I mean, yeah, you have to keep the volume high, yes, I think going into it. Uh, the volume doesn't... Go on. Uh, it, they're completely two different sports. You're just doing one workout a week for five weeks, and then you have eight weeks before you have to perform three days, three workouts a day. Yeah, I think I think having days where you have multiple workouts is huge. Mm -hmm. um, so you know. That's not every day. Don't interpret that as no, two days. No, no. I'm, I'm saying maybe you choose two days a week where you have multiple workouts and we're not talking about I'm not talking about 20 minute workouts either 10 minutes max repeat that two to three times and you know that's a great way to add volume and stress the system going into something like regionals I do I personally do think um, you know your 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 ability to perform skill under fatigue is pretty important I would say that's the difference between uh, re regionals, I think, or I'm sorry, the open. I think the open is you going fresh. Is is muscle endurance city. It's just muscle endurance city. It's like very few, very few skills are involved. Um, you have to have a base level of strength, but um, yeah, I mean. And some of the stuff you're probably going to see in regionals is some sort of lift ladder, whether it's like a deadlift, yeah, or an overhead squat. Or a power clean, or every ninety seconds, every sixty seconds, every yeah. thirty seconds, with double unders. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and then uh, you're well, also going to see. Well, I mean, the double unders are back to what we were talking about in the beginning: is to tax a different system. So they're going to tax you by load and your metabolics, right? Yes, exactly. They're going to they're going to do pre fatigue uh, or pre exhaustive training on on your aerobic 
and glycolytic pathways, and then they're going to force you to do like a double. So you got to be able to operate in that environment. Your training should replicate that. Uh, you're going to see more. I, I don't. You're going to see equipment you don't see in a garage gym. So you're going to see yeah. rope climbs. You're going to see. Uh, that would be a skill, and that's kind yeah. of what I mean. And then and then things like uh, like heavy dumbbell snatches. You know, um, that's not something we traditionally see in the open, but you see that in regionals a lot. Super heavy dumbbell snatches. Um, and what else, man? It's just the the volume stays the same, intensity increases, and the amount of work you have to do in three days is, uh, you know, insane, insane relative to the open. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I mean, so I think one of the things you have to take into consideration if you make it to regionals too is um, not only increasing volume, but being able to know a lot about your recovery in between multiple workouts a day. I think mm -hmm. a lot of people when they sign up for these uh, weekend warrior CrossFit competitions or throwdowns or whatever the heck you call them, um, they take for granted that they do one hour-long class, they get on a weekend, they've got maybe three workouts in a day or four week, four, four workouts across a weekend, and they are just destroyed because they haven't, they've changed their diet, they haven't thought about recovery, um, mobility in between workouts, that sort of thing. So that's also something that I think has to be incorporated. Not Increasing volume is one thing, but increasing volume at the risk of injury or sort of going off the reservation um, is is probably not something you want to do if you're going to get in there and, and perform well. Um, I think yeah. recovery is something that people have to think about as well. Oh, recovery yeah. huge, dude. That's huge. A, uh, a training approach that you can take if going to the regionals, you should know you're going to the regionals during the open. So after you perform the open workout, then you need to rest and then maybe do a snatch ladder. So you have five opportunities to go in 100% fatigued and then perform. So that could be a way to approach the regionals, but um, I mean you got to make it there first. So, then, sorry, I was just gonna say, uh, and then one one huge factor is just like the elephant in the room, which is don't get fucking injured before you go. <laughs> I mean, I think that that's, like, the biggest part of the training is just making sure, kind of going along with the recovery stuff, it's just you, you've just got to make it a priority to take care of your body and do the mobility and do whatever's necessary. Um, I don't know. I think, Massage. Yeah. Stretching. Exactly. Whatever, whatever it takes because, uh, you know, increasing skill work and volume and all that stuff leading up to it, it's just you see people maybe who don't have the appropriate programming or training start to fall apart. And uh, that's, I mean, obviously that that's real tragedy if you've made it and then you become injured or have some sort of overuse injury going into regionals. Do you want to go in, do you want to peak during the regionals or do you want to um, kind of be at like, 80% at the regionals. You know, say you're, say the ultimate program is like the games. You know, you're going to start with the Open, you're going to hit the regionals, then you're going to go to California. Obviously, you would want to peak Me when you're on yeah. I want to I stub my toe in the parking lot and then say I'm injured but get all the free stuff and not actually compete. <laughs> no. Well, that's what I want to do. Yeah. Kelly, that sounds awesome. I mean, I think when it comes across <laughs> the idea of peaking, um, that's a hard one 
I kind of feel like I saw that last year. Like I, I saw some of the athletes who I kind of thought was really going to go in and put out a good performance. It, it's like they did real good in the regionals and then just didn't have it. But, but the games. and I don't. I wondered then when I watched it, like, man, maybe they just they peaked too early, you know? Or maybe by the time they get there, you just you're hammered the shit because of all the the volume and the you know the workouts and stuff. I mean, were the were the Forty Niners thinking they're going to save some so they can peak for the Super Bowl? Right. I hope not. I hope you just you put it all out there and then kind of. You know, deal with the recovery the best you can afterwards, and not hold back. But then, after regionals, you have twelve, eight to twelve weeks to prepare for the games. After the open, six to eight, depending on when your regionals are, to prepare for the regionals. So that's enough time to recover, reprogram, and then hit realization to steal a old school periodization word to peak for each of those different competitions. Yeah, Denny, the, the, your training has to be conducive to the domain that you're going to be competing in. So I guess what that means is uh, your training should ramp up, but it should that's on a, like a long timeline. Uh, you should be ready to do three workouts in three weekend and three days in a weekend at any day, but you shouldn't have to do three workouts a day for three days to prepare for three workouts. Does that make sense? Yes. Like at the end of the day, you're gonna be dosed with this high set of volume, and everybody is. And due to the volume, you will have performance degradation across the board for every athlete, um, typically. Like I don't know if we put, like, were people pring the the girls that one year when they did like three girls in a row with one minute rest in between? I don't remember. I'm sh I'm sure there were people pring though. I mean, uh, fuck those people. I mean, those the, the, you you know, exactly. we, we, you see athletes PR after a triathlon on their clean and jerk. So I mean, yeah. it's it's there's a lot of other factors that go into it, but I don't think peaking necessarily is the right term yeah. um, because you know that indicates like I think that specifically in my mind is track two strength training, mm -hmm. um, and there's just so much so so much else involved with ramping up volume and multiple workouts. So I mean. I, you, I, you should be cycling volume and intensity to prepare for a multi-day event. And that's going to be individualized. And I, it's not like a peaking deal, but you should be cycling the volume and intensity uh, to prepare for that multi-day event. And that's going to be based off the athlete. So, And that's what Callie's talking about, like talk, throwing in multi-workout multi days, maybe every 10 days to start, then you go every five days for a block, and then you're ready to rock. You know what I mean? It's it's going to be trial and error. A lot of the people who who get there, it's a mul it's a multiple attempt before you, you kind of dial in your programming and understand what it takes. So, you know, the, the programs that we put together for for a team up in uh, – where was, where was the team John was programming for? Okay, I think okay. they were out of – no, they were out of Oregon, Oregon, and then there we had a couple. Uh, we had Zach Forrest, we had China Cho, all training one year. All their programming was different. Each of their programs were different. They were loaded differently based off of volume. Uh, and because the recovery looked like was different. Yeah, you know? they all made it to regionals. Um, and then I think Zach got beat by Spieler for the games that year. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know. It was just it's is based off those individuals, but either way, it was uh, you know they were they were longer training sessions, 
uh, low volume skill work was always coupled with uh, a application of the skill the following training day, either in a volume or intensity setting. So, you know, working on the movements without stress, then reinforcing movement patterns with stress type deal. So that was that was a strategy we took with those guys. And then uh, pre-fatigue, perio-fatigue in terms of throwing in airdyne, throwing in double-unders, all that type of stuff. Like you just got to be ready, like Callie said, prepare yourself to do this stuff fatigued, but be safe about it because, you know, the last thing we want anyone to do is get hurt trying to train. Train. In training. It's good stuff. It is good stuff. <laughs> All right. Want to finish with anything else? Yeah, uh, we got a couple, a couple things we could jump on real quick. Um, let's save that for next time. Yeah, I'm going to. But I just wanted to tell him it because I think he's listening. Oh, okay. Oh, I, so I, I just wanted to tell, we had a, a submission. I originally told this guy we might actually be able to get to it today. But Pete Pavlik, if you're listening, uh, listen next week. Next week, right? Yeah. Um, we'll be able to answer a question. He had a question about training his wife and uh, getting her on CrossFit football and a little bit of uh, the female experience with the program. So we'll, we'll tackle that next week. Uh, and then we have a couple other Q&As submitted. Our boy Taylor. Uh, hey, uh, hey, guys, before we get into that, um, I'm going to have to duck out because my kid's escaping from his bedroom. You're dead uh, to me. Alright, Steve. Tell me something I don't know, Callie. Okay? <laughs> I'll catch up with you guys next week, alright? Yeah. Alright, bye, Steve. Um, so, Taylor got called out the other day by a trainer uh, that was training a client for fat loss. And uh, this guy studies kinesiology and was taught to train fat loss at a certain percentage of intensity, which is relatively low intensity for a longer time period. So, Taylor disagrees. Uh, he said that this supposedly has been proven. What is our thought on training an athlete for fat loss? Oh, like steady state cardio? Yeah, so, I don't know. <laughs> what is the, he was called out because he was doing that or was not? Or someone said? He probably said, hey, I'm trying to lean this guy out. And the, he was probably doing like a CrossFit style model. Oh, Taylor was doing a CrossFit yeah. style model. And this guy's like, dude, you're doing it wrong. you got to do uh, steady state. So, Taylor, if you want to clarify what well, the hell's a, going on, we're making I mean, some assumptions. There, yeah, there's a couple of factors to that. I mean, I think it matters to take into account who you're training. So, let's imagine this person is, uh, let's say she's a five foot eight female who is 330 pounds. Well, maybe steady state cardio has a place in her training out the get-go. I mean, if this person, though, is you know, depending on how much weight they have to lose and their ability to get into position, then you can put them into maybe some more of metabolic type training. I would even, you know, I'd venture to say that uh, if they're capable, a step in between that is going to be, you know, an interval type training in something that's mm -hmm. like low impact. And anybody who's in the strength and conditioning world or the personal training world or whatever knows that there's there are these order of operations that you go through, these assessments to make sure that, you know, it's okay, this person can't even get into good position. And then you you basically dial up the intensity from there. But what I'd say um, as well is, I mean, we know that this that metabolic conditioning, uh, you know, it allows us to maintain some muscle mass. You can do strength training beforehand and then have that metabolic effect and also that post-workout effect where you're, you're basically uh, burning more calories for longer post-workout than you would be if you were doing 60 minutes on a, on a treadmill 
you hop off and, and your the metabolic effect is not the same. You're not burning as many calories post workout. And here every so uh, in terms of adipose fat tissue loss, that is a product of caloric expenditure exceeds caloric intake. And any sort of work will expend uh, calories in the sense of uh, steady state cardio, interval training, or even weightlifting. Sure. That's how lean gains works, right? Lean gains is lift weights, steady state cardio. And uh, yes, it's proven. Every method is proven. And if this guy's like CrossFit doesn't work or CrossFit's style of training doesn't work, have him turn on the CrossFit games and look at the abs on these people. I mean, there's amazing before and after pictures at, out of probably every, every single CrossFit gym. So it all works, but what you're talking about is accelerated. I mean, people want it to work fast, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's uh, – neither way is better than the other unless it works faster. And uh, no matter what you do with, like, a, an extremely overweight person, let's say – um, what was the example? Five. I said like five, eight, three hundred pounds. Yeah. Any sort of work expenditure for them is going to yeah. to elicit. Put them in caloric deficit. Yeah, a weight loss response and put them in caloric deficit. Assuming they're they're nutrition changing their diet. Yeah. And they're sleeping. So that's I guess that's where I would go with that. And if you're looking for a different text, I'm gonna let you go in a second. If you're looking for a different argument, let us know. But uh, but go ahead, text pile on to what we're talking about. Uh, I know where he's he's coming from thinking wise too. But I would ask him why he feels that way or why what what data, and then it's thinking that low heart rate zone you can work out for an hour versus doing a 15 minute CrossFit workout. So his thinking is they're doing more work, but like Callie touched on just that metabolic rate, how much work is truly being done, how many calories are being burned afterwards. So I mean I would just engage him in a conversation instead of feel like it's an attack. Yeah, and and, and uh, another you know another benefit to steady state cardio is you can do it every single day. Yeah, it's it's not extremely taxing on your central nervous system. It's you can do an hour a day for every day uh, on a aerodyne, on a treadmill, on an elliptical, and ultimately increase your work output, and putting yourself in a caloric deficit, which would cause fat loss. Yeah, while maintaining strength. So that's why you see a lot of power lifters or O lifters who have to cut weight doing like steady state walking or incline walking because it's repeatable and it doesn't really detract from uh, your strength workout. Yeah, you know, guys like The Rock, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. <laughs> and Luke Summers. Luke. <laughs> you guys just compare me to The Rock? No, nobody did that. What? I heard it. <laughs> Dude, you know, uh, he's in like every single freaking movie. You go through Netflix and like he's almost in every single movie. You want your movie to be successful? Put The Rock in it. Are you logged into well, Luke's account? <laughs> yeah. I just watched, uh, what's it called, Empire or Empire State of Mind or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I saw that I, on Netflix. Yeah, he, he's like a, he takes a smaller role where he's like and the cop. A, you know what I mean? It makes it a blockbuster hit. Yeah, but I bet you it's a blockbuster hit. <laughs> so Taylor got back to us. He said he's training someone on an amateur progression with high-intensity conditioning, and the person needs to lose roughly 100 pounds. I guess my question to him would be, uh, and how long? You know, like, um, can they show up and can they train every day? I don't think weightlifting is going to be detrimental to the long-term objective, but if you find your your athlete or your client is can't show up the next day because the high-intensity training is too 
Taxi. Intense. <laughs> intense. Intense or a taxi. Uh, throw in some steady state cardio. Yeah. Neither, like it's. If it's, they're like, I'm so sore because we did, you know, if this person's has hundred push-ups. Yeah, they were just doing even just like high rep body weight squats. I mean, there's a there's a time and a place for like a steady state cardio as a recovery, and then just to create like that caloric deficit. Um, and so. I don't think that the, the number one factor here is that Taylor knows what the fuck he's talking about, and he doesn't need to justify it to this other guy. I mean, he knows what he's doing, and he's got the client's best best interest at heart. Um, as, assuming, you know, this, this person doesn't sound like they're training for performance at this point. They're they're training to get healthy and get in shape, and he's doing his job, and I think he's he's probably doing it fine. And so uh, if somebody's giving him a hard time, just, you know, fucking tell him it's not his client, you know? And in terms of... Like a completely different aspect of it, it's fucking fun and people like it. Yes, that's so the other side. And because no one wants to fucking sit on a treadmill for an hour, dude. I ran on a treadmill the other day for uh, um, one minute, one minute, and it fucking felt like an eternity. Yeah, it's the worst. I hate to tell you, Luke, that was forty-five seconds. So. That was twenty seconds. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's, I guess Taylor. You know, like either way, it's gonna work. But you know what? We, I like Texas approach, which he's like, you know. The slow and steady type guy. Uh, <laughs> talk to talk to the guy and see you know just say okay let's talk about results and let's talk what the strategy is and you know it's best to make friends not enemies in that situation because ultimately you could you know you could show him that your method works as well and then you got an ally in in training you know sure and work. and just based on my experience because Taylor I've definitely been there like I know exactly what situation you're talking about. Um, but based on my experience, just don't fuck this person up. Like, don't injure them because you want them to perform some sort of CrossFit movements. Luckily, I haven't had many injuries uh, in the course of my career. But be don't be so keen on CrossFit that you have them getting out of good position. Um, you know, take the most basic movements. If this person is a hundred pounds overweight, just get them to do some some of that interval style training with movements that look good and uh, and they'll stay safe and healthy you know you want this person to have longevity in this sport and you want them to lose weight they're not training to go and and to, to regionals you know and and he's saying what's the best what's the best to use and I'm assuming the best for accelerated fat loss uh, it doesn't they're <laughs> both gonna work you, I'm assuming you have an hour training session make sure they're lifting weights I think that there's an absolute benefit to lifting weights and putting this person on an amateur progression. You're gonna, regardless of their fat loss goals. Yeah. Okay. Um, don't get fixated necessarily on the scale because you may put 40 pounds of muscle on this person. Then all of a sudden you're, you know, you're grossing out at like 150 pounds of loss. Hopefully that is not the case. <laughs> Who knows? I don't think that that's possible. But but you know, if you have this person four times a week, do two days of metabolic conditioning, two days of Different uh, intervals, inter um, yeah, interval on on like an incline treadmill, something that's not as exciting but is still pertinent um, and allows for a little recovery. If you have them three days a week, I'd still say two days metabolic, one day. We just, I mean, I there have been times where I'd literally just in the city would take people out for a long walk. We'd stop and we'd do some mobility stuff. We'd stop and we'd do, um, you know, some stretching and stuff, and continue that walk, change the pace. And uh, yeah, and you they could do that on their off days because again, think about the energy systems you're taxing. If you do a, a, a 45 minute walk uh, at a brisk pace, maybe on an incline or something like that, 
you're really just going to be tapping into that oxidative system and you won't be stressing your glycolytic, glycolytic or phosphogen pathways, which you're going to be using for maybe your intervals yeah. uh, on Thursday. So it's going to you know, have them do that stuff, perhaps as homework. Uh, there's value to in including that stuff. There's merit to it. But at the end of the day, it's not the only way to, for fat loss. To me, the best way is the one that keeps the client healthy, keeps them safe, gets them the results they want, and keeps them fucking paying you or showing up to your class. And if they're if, not if healthy, they're not paying, they're not coming. Yeah. So good luck with that, Amigo. Uh, what else? Is that it? Danny, do we have any other qu I have a couple other things here we can, we can tackle real quick on the Q&A. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, that's... We're in the closing. All right, Mr. Jeff Lee wants to know, will there be remote coaching under the paid section of powerathlete.com? I suspect that will be a huge success. <laughs> um, I don't even know that what remote coaching necessarily means, but I guess where that would come into play is the forums. So there's going to be different levels of forums, and, uh, you know, they, any of the remote coaching would be in terms of us remote coaching, like me or Callie or Tex being assigned a remote athlete. Uh, to help follow a program and, and guide them, that would typically that would probably be done through the forums, and uh, uh, you would be able to see. Let's say it would be more assigned like a, a group of athletes. So this athlete, you know, Callie's going to focus on a group of athletes with this training objective in mind, and she'll be the the guide under that um, that circle. Yeah, that circle. So that's how I I perceive it. But what's the hard? You know, the hardest thing we're going to get is people just are so fitness ADD. And that like, I could give you like all the tools you needed and if you are going off of Outlaw or you're following other programs at once, then mm -hmm. if you're saying you're not seeing results because you're not following the program we provide. Yeah, that's the risk. That's the risk, you know, so, but. But uh, yeah, there, there will be some sort of remote coaching and I think Ingo in the, uh, like in the comments on this, I talked about video coaching uh, and you know, part of part of any sort of remote coaching would be providing feedback, understanding how the volume or intensity is affecting the athlete, dealing with individual orthopedic issues and injuries, and giving advice on mobility, uh, and yeah, perhaps reviewing videos of lifts and giving you some drills. Because like, no matter how remote, how virtual, and how like in your face we could be with your, you know, the coach's eye app or whatever, nothing can replace being five feet from you and like hearing the barbell, seeing the movement, like. Everything it, you just can't replicate that in-person coaching, and uh, you know. So with that in mind, like, we're that by itself is going to be an inferior product to us just moving in with you and sleeping on your couch for thirty days, which is also going to be a product. Which is why text, <laughs> which is why Tex is going to do it. So that's going to be an option if you want us to just you know move in, make you breakfast, <laughs> uh, rub your back. Um, so. Tackle that guy. The next one we have here is, has there been talk uh, about a power athlete across a football app? Yes. Next question. <laughs> um, no, yes, there has been. There is a place for it in terms of it will be available specifically to our power athlete subscribers on the powerathlete.com website, so it's going to be a private app um, at this point in the design phase. Uh with potential of pushing it out as a public app. And what it's going to ultimately do is uh, 
have a little bit of dialogue yeah. that goes along with the workouts as well. Yeah, so it's gonna it's gonna be your you know your your guy or your you're like your, your training resource. partner. Essentially. Yeah, your resource. We're gonna push out when your workout's ready. We're gonna push out a narrative that's audio, kind of like a, a a coach's cast. Um, we're gonna push out uh, exclusive deals. Like let's say we get in our new Eat the Week shirts or we get in our Go Fuck Yourself shirts, and you're into that type of thing. Uh, you're gonna have first bids on it. Like uh, that's our that's our way to kind of give these coaches. And uh, and people who sign up are athletes. Exclusivity to a lot of the stuff we're going to do. So if, you know we're going to have coaches roundtable. We had a guy, Brian, was asking on the on the uh, broadcast page. You know, where's the video? Well, we're not going to broadcast video here, but on our coaches roundtable, we are going to have video. And uh, that coaches roundtable is going to be limited attendees. We're going to cut it off at maybe 15 or 20, depending on the subject matter. And the people who are going to hear about it first are going to be the people who are the subscribers. And if it's subject matter that's pertinent to them, then they're going to sign up. And uh, it's going to be first come, first serve basis. And then once we announce it 24 hours later to the public, uh, you know, people are going to have kind of their exclusive access to to those roundtables. And you know, the, basically what the roundtables are going to be is like uh, you know programming clinics. Uh, it's going to be a squat clinic. It's going to be uh, talk on volume intensity sprinting. Okay, we have an athlete who has, you know, pretend, we'll talk in depth about coaches round table on grip training. Specialized athletes, yeah. Q&A. Yeah, so that, I mean, we could we could spend the whole hour talking about t- fielding people's individual requests, evaluating what their programming looks like, and the best place to implement a lot of this stuff. So what you see on the, the Get a Grip Part 2 is assuming you have a program that is push-pull-split. Now, if you don't have a program that's push-pull-split, you need to reevaluate your programming, but like showing you where the best place to implement some skill work, some technique work, uh, and even how to program things like that. That's that's what's going to be in this app, uh, as well as like uh, it's basically going to be a broadcast of all the content on the website as well. So that's the deal with our Power Athlete app. Uh, that we're looking mid-year, maybe CrossFit Games time. Uh, got to get that in development. So. And that's all I got on this end. Cool. I just want to uh, just kind of put it out there again that if we can get everybody to who listens to the show on iTunes to throw in some comments, five-star ratings. There was an improvement in the past week. Um, I'm happy with that. Let's see if we can get some more comments in there and really get uh, you know get the Power Athlete Radio at the top, the yeah, top and, of the... Uh, and also, if like there's a, you know, not that I'm going to commit to making all any enhancement, but if there's something you wish that w- we could do or you think would be cool that you see on other podcasts or we're missing out on, uh, let us know. And you know, if we you want us to broadcast on something outside of iTunes, let us know. I know there's a, we're on a couple other podcast streams, but you know, hit us up. We want to make this as accessible as possible to you guys. Um, what else, Callie? Uh. Um, so I wanted to plug a competition that we're doing here in Huntington Beach. I know that we're kind of coming to a close here, so I wanted to just put out there that registration is now available. We'll link it up on the Power Athlete HQ site. Um, we have this local comp in Huntington Beach, right on the beach. It's the first time, I know John mentioned last week, the first time that they've had this sort of quote-unquote CrossFitter, um, I guess, exercise competition that... Uh, that's been held here. So basically it's called Badges for Life and it goes to benefit 
uh, currently two uh, charities. One of them is called COPS, and it's concerns of uh, police survivors. So that's all of this goes 100% to charity. So that first charity is essentially um, to help families get back on their feet after they've lost a loved one in the line of duty. So uh, undeniably a great cause. And the second charity is, of course, our own Wade's Wings um, or Wade's Army. Wade's Army. And um, uh, so we're going to just be cutting all the proceeds 50-50. If you can make it to Huntington Beach or you're in California or close to the location, um, it's going to be a great, great weekend. And again, that's May 17th, um, and registration is available. It's teams of four people, two guys, two girls. If you are um, your armed forces or your uh, police department or your law enforcement or fire department, you can sign up to be a part of a special division. Um, and that division in and of itself is is going to kind of compete against each other for bragging rights. So uh, there's, there's going to be a lot of fun events that day, and then I think at the end we're going to conclude it with like a, a party at uh, the hotel across the street. It's pretty nice. Hyatt, so I'm pretty stoked on that. That's news to me. Yeah, yeah. I'll be there. <laughs> well, you're not invited. That's what? why it's news <laughs> to you. So number one, get signed up. Number two, make sure you you start tanning and get your abs in now because it's going to be on the beach at Surf City, and uh, we're pretty stoked on it. Now let's say you're a guy like Taylor, but even though Taylor's a broke college kid in Canada. I Taylor, mean, come not, on. He's not going to make it out to uh, California. Can people contribute and donate? Yes, and absolutely. Is? You can still contribute and donate. Um, there is a spot for you to just donate, um, as as well as if you want to volunteer. If you're uh, not sure you want to compete but you'd like to volunteer, we're going to be making announcements for volunteers or sponsor sponsor the event as well. You can come down and, um, you know, if your business wants to be involved. It's an amazing ca cause, and I'm just – Thrilled to be involved in it because uh, you know there's a lot of a lot of good people that we get to work with and a lot of good families we get to touch both through both through the fight against neuroblastoma and the cops um, uh, charity. So that's that. That's awesome. It is great job. G good work with that. <laughs> it's good charities. Those it goes to both are good causes. All right, guys. I'm good. What do we got next week? Next week, we're going to talk about some preparation slash strategies slash dieting uh, for, the, for the games. We can answer any questions between now and then um, regarding training for the Open or the Regionals. I know there's a few submissions that we haven't gotten to uh, by a couple of the listeners who had questions regarding the Open. You know, I mean, just because we talked about that in the last show doesn't mean we won't go back and answer any of those questions. So, unless it's totally covered in the last show, you just exactly. Know. If it's the same thing, we won't. But anything new, of course. Yeah, Denny, you give them an inch, they'll take a mile, man. <laughs> this podcast audience—they're I mean, animals. Well, Luke and I will be hot off of a trip from Colombia, assuming we make it back. <laughs> the drug cartels don't get us, whatever. And employ us. And employ us. <laughs> I'm good with numbers. <laughs> uh, so so we'll have to wrap on that. We have a full cert out there. Should be pretty cool. I have never been to Columbia. Yeah, Tex, it's another like 14-hour travel day. Oof. So we got to pack up our Well Food Co. carne bars and shit and... Meat cakes. Yeah, meat cakes. And Callie is supposed to make a menu here. No, nah, I'm just bringing a burrito. What? <laughs> you sinner. <laughs> 
Dude, so listen to this. Oh Denny. my god. Okay. There's no timers. Denny. Denny. No timers. So, First Denny, of went, all, Denny, me and Callie we always got time. Right? <laughs> Callie and I both push about 100 kilos relative body weight. <laughs> and we've been on this leaning out phase for the past like eight weeks. I wish you guys had taken some Root photos. Christmas. And, uh, dude, I've been so dialed in, and I find out that Callie goes out to dinner with Tex, has a beer and a burrito. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> the beer's true, but the burrito, it only had steak and guac in it. And uh, not nobody cares to hear about my fucking diet. We I, just lost one viewer. I've been salting heads of lettuce. <laughs> That's all I've been eating. Heads of lettuce, Denny. It's gross, yeah. man. Which you have, you have, now you have a girl, the body of like a supple 15-year-old girl. Yeah, guys are hitting on <laughs> Well, listen, uh, here's my contention is that Luke's training is not nearly as hard as mine, and so he can live off things like heads of lettuce and uh, saltines. Oh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, we'll be we'll, we'll have our share of burritos after, in Colombia. Oh, that's going to be great. Well, we'll talk to you guys next week. This has been uh, another great podcast. Yep. Leave us reviews. Five star only and we'll find you. <laughs> That's right. Remember, we'll send text after you. Seriously, nope. review us and give us pointers. Um, we love that stuff. Alright, boys. For show. And girls. Yep. Take care. Alright, guys. I'll talk to you next week. Alright, bye-bye. See you Later. in hell. Yep. <laughs>